0: you have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to hold it up right now, whether you have a printed copy like I do, you have a digital copy on your phone, and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. Is God's Word. It is a, is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, for its author. Salvation, for its end, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error first matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, and open up your copy of God's Word with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah is going to be about in the middle of your Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the major prophets um, in the Old Testament. So Jeremiah 29. Now regardless of your political party and your views on immigration, I think you would agree with me when I say we have a crisis at our southern border. In in 2021, we had over 2 million unauthorized people cross over our border into the United States. And statistics say that that number will be at least that large this year. And that number doesn't include the number of people that immigrate into the United States legally. Now some of these people are crossing to escape persecution, to escape danger from their own country. There are others who are crossing in hopes of a better future for themselves and for their family. But then there are some who are coming as as part of a criminal or, or a terrorist organization. But there's a difference. There's a difference between a migrant, and an immigrant, and an exile. An exile is someone who has been banished, or they have been taken by force from their country, oftentimes as a slave. And that's what we see in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. God's people had been taken into exile in Babylon, a pagan country, and they had questions about What they were to do while they were there? How long were they going to be there? And and did God even care what they were going through? Now I think as Christians, we sometimes struggle with the same kind of questions today. What are we to do as we live in this world that we're in today? How long will it be before God decides to make everything right? And does God even care? about what we're going through here on this earth. Now, some of us act like this world and the pleasures of this world are our ultimate reward. And because of that, we get overly concerned about what's happening in the world, politically, financially, and and in other ways. When our person or our party is in control, things are good. But when they're not in control, things are in chaos. And when the economy takes a hit, like it is right now, we wonder, am I going to be able to make it? Am I going to ever be able to retire? And this attitude can cause us to hold on to things and try to control things. We, we have an iron grip on, on things in this world, and we live in fear of wondering what may happen in the future. But then there are other people who are opposite of that. Uh, They try to escape and separate themselves completely from this world. Almost like they want to live alone waiting for Jesus to come back. This kind of person avoids everything in this world because they see everything in the world as evil and wicked and it needs to be avoided. Now I believe both of those views are wrong. And and that's why we're going to spend some time looking at God's people who were living in exile. They were forced to live in a pagan land, and, and we need to learn from them because the New Testament says that those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're foreigners, temporary residents, we're exiles in the land that we now live. This world is not our home. Now, there are two things you need to understand as we get started. First, this world is not our home. Bible makes that crystal clear. Peter said... We are temporary residents, exiles in this world. That's how he described us. The Apostle Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. And the author of Hebrews said this world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home that is yet to come. And so regardless of how good your life may be here on this earth, when it comes to your job, when it comes to your relationships, your finances, your health, or whatever else it may be, understand this world is not your home. We have something better to look forward to. And regardless of how bad your life may be, take heart. This isn't our home. The Bible tells us that our home is is a place where there is no sickness, there's no suffering, there's no sorrow, there's no pain. All of those things are a thing of the past. So this world is not our home. Second thing you need to understand is just like the Israelites, the Jews in the Old Testament, we are living in a pagan land. Christian America, if there ever was such a thing, is a thing of the past. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that our Declaration of Independence, our Bill of Rights, our Constitution, were certainly written with Christian principles and truths in mind. But we've never really lived out those truths in the way we should, from the days of slavery until our present day. I mean, would a Christian nation protect and even promote the murder of unborn children? Would a Christian nation legalize and celebrate same-sex marriage? Would a Christian nation teach our children that that they can choose and then change their gender? Would a Christian nation hold up as heroes those who have had the most sexual partners, the brutal, the greedy, the self-absorbed? The truth is, we may have been more christian at times in our past, but we've never been a Christian nation. And we certainly aren't a Christian nation today. And so let me begin by giving you a little bit of biblical history. The nation of Israel had become a powerful nation under David as their king. And when his son Solomon became king, because of his God-given wisdom, the nation flourished and became one of the most powerful nations in the world but Solomon turned his back on God Solomon married pagan wives and he began to worship their pagan gods and when Solomon died the nation divided in two much like America during the civil war the 10 northern tribes became Israel or Samaria the two southern tribes became Judah. And these two nations continually disobeyed God, becoming more wicked until God finally judged them. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria. The people were taken into captivity. They were resettled among the nations of the world. Only the poorest of the poor were left in Samaria. And then the Assyrians brought people from all over the world and resettled them In Samaria, the Jews would marry these people from all over the world, and thus the Samaritans that we read about in the New Testament were born. The southern kingdom, or Judah, stayed together during this time, but was constantly threatened by world powers. But then, under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire made its way to the Middle East, and around 607 B.C., King Jehoiakim of Judah was forced into submission to Nebuchadnezzar. It was during this time that Nebuchadnezzar took away many of the best, the brightest of the young people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. After three years, Jehoiakim rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. He hired the king of Egypt to help him fight. So Nebuchadnezzar came to Judah. To deal with the revolt and in 598 BC Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. He took Jehoiakim into exile and left his son Jehoiakim as the king. But after ruling for just three months Jehoiakim, his family and and most of the population of Judah was taken into exile. Leaving only the poorest of the poor in Judah. It was at this time that Nebuchadnezzar took away the the treasuries of of the temple and the royal palace. And he instituted Zedekiah as king. Zedekiah ruled as king for nine years. And after nine years, he decided to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar came himself, laid siege to the city, tore down the walls of the city, tore down the temple of God, burned down most of the houses, he took Zedekiah's sons and he killed them in front of Zedekiah. Then he gouged out Zedekiah's eyes and sent him into exile. And for 70 years, from the time that the first people were taken into exile, the people of God lived as foreigners, alias, exiles in the land. The books of Daniel and Nehemiah, Ezra, Esther were all written during this time and tell us about the people of God living in a foreign land. But what we discover is that even during exile, God positioned his people, not only to make an impact on his people, but the entire world. Nehemiah became a cupbearer to the king. That's not just some servant that brings the wine. This is a trusted advisor, many say a prime minister to the king. Daniel became an advisor to two empires, and Esther became the queen of the Persian Empire. And that takes us to Jeremiah. The Bible tells us that Jeremiah was called to be a prophet even before he was formed in his mother's womb. And God gave him a task of proclaiming the word of God both to the people who were still in Judah and the people who were in exile, even though he was living in Judah. And that takes us to Jeremiah 29. And we discover in Jeremiah 29, God is leading Jeremiah to write a letter to the people who were in exile. Listen to what it says in verse 1. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you go ahead and read verses 2 and 3, you discover that this was written after Jehoiakim had been deported and Zedekiah had been installed as king. Now, it's important to note that God's people were not in exile because of military conquest they were conquered militarily but that's not why they were in exile and they were not in exile because of a political collapse you see the bible makes it clear that the people of God were in exile for one reason they were in exile because of the judgment of God spiritually and morally the people of God had turned their back on God and how they were supposed to live. Now, from man's perspective, this was simply a powerful kingdom invading a land. But the Bible makes it clear that God was behind all of this. Listen to what it says in verse 4. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He has exiled To Babylon from Jerusalem. Jeremiah made it clear in in chapter 25 that God's judgment was coming. And God's judgment was coming through Nebuchadnezzar. But the people of God didn't listen. Now I want you to listen very carefully. Nothing. Absolutely nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing happens in this world unless it is a part of God's perfect and final plan. And the truth is, God oftentimes uses pagans both to bless us, his people, and to judge us as his people. And so for us today, I would say don't fret, because God is on his throne. And yet at the same time, I would say you need to be prepared because you don't know what God is going to do in our nation and in our world. God is on his throne and God is moving everything toward his perfect plan. So here were the Jews. They were living in exile in a foreign land under the power of people who worship pagan gods. They had vile practices. Sounds like our world today. So how were they to live? Was well, Jeremiah penned this letter under the direction of, of the Holy Spirit, he told them what they were to do while they lived in exile. And I believe that the words that he gave to the Jewish people who were in Babylon are just as relevant for us today as they were for the Jews living in Babylon. Because you need to understand the Bible says we are exiles. We are living in a pagan land. So what are we to do? Are we to escape, retreat, bury our head in the sand? Are we to fight back? What are we to do? Well, Jeremiah told the people to do five things. The first thing he said is you need to enjoy life. Enjoy life. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Make the most of the cards you've been dealt. You've been taken into exile. This isn't where you want to be. But make the most of the life you have. In verses 5 and 6 it says this. Build homes. Plan to stay. Plant gardens. Eat the food they produce. Marry. Have children. Then find spouses for them. So they may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle. You see, there were some who were saying, we won't be here very long, so you don't need to settle down. There are others who were saying, this is a pagan land. Don't get too comfortable. But Jeremiah says, even though we're in a pagan land, you need to build houses, you need to settle down, you need to plant guards, you need to get married, you need to have children and grandchildren. Go on with life. Enjoy your life. Today, there are some Christians who say, Christians shouldn't buy houses because this is a temporary place. You should rent. There are other Christians today who say, as a Christian, you shouldn't have children because how in the world would you want to raise children in such an evil, wicked world? And yet, the Bible tells us that God's people who are in exile were to continue living and they were to enjoy life. In 1 Timothy, the apostle Paul says, tells Timothy that God gives us everything we need to enjoy life. Did you get that? God gives us everything we need to enjoy life. In other words, don't be a stick in the mud. And too many Christians are. I mean, we as Christians are to be a fragrant aroma to the world. We're to make a relationship with Christ look appealing because it is, it is And yet all too often we look like we're the saddest, sourest people in the world. We don't enjoy life. And Jeremiah says, enjoy life. We as believers should be the happiest, most joyful people on the planet. Why? Because we have Jesus. Amen. And Jesus gives us joy in the midst of even the difficulties of life. Sometimes... Things will happen in your life where you may not be happy in the moment, but I can promise you if you have Jesus, you can have joy in the moment. And joy inside will always turn to happiness on the outside eventually. Jeremiah says, have children. And have children to bring them up to be salt and light. We as Christ followers have a responsibility to have children to raise them up to love Jesus so enjoy life. Go out and eat some good food. Go on some fun vacations. Find some hobbies that you enjoy doing. Go on some long walks with the one you love. Enjoy your life. Spoil your grandkids. That's fun. I mean, I know we're not supposed to spoil our kids. But I mean, the Bible tells us to spoil grandkids. It's written in there somewhere. I know it is. I know it is. And so enjoy life. The second thing he tells us to do is work to make the place you live better. And listen to verse 7. It says, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. And understand, the city that they lived in, Babylon, was not the city that they wanted to live in. They wanted to live in Jerusalem. But God says, even though you're not where you want to be, you're somewhere else. You should work for the peace and prosperity of your city. Notice, work at it. Work at it. Make it your mission to bring about the peace and the prosperity of the city, the state, the nation, the world in which you live. Now, the Hebrew word there for peace and prosperity is one word. And it's the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom most often is translated peace. We should be peacemakers rather than troublemakers in our land. But this word primarily didn't refer to national peace. And it didn't primarily refer to relational peace. It referred to a peace that comes from God. You see, as believers, we should always be working to share with others the peace that we have that passes understanding because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul has given us the armor that we are to put on as we battle against the principalities and the powers of this world, he tells us that on our feet we put on the preparation of the gospel of peace. Peace. The gospel brings peace. And I'm here to tell you that when you have Jesus, no matter what you face in life, he really can give you a peace that passes understanding. And that peace is something this world is looking for. So we share the peace that we have in Jesus. But that word shalom means more than just that. It also means prosperity. And prosperity here doesn't necessarily mean wealth. It means good. You see, it's easy to be critical of our culture. It's easy to be condemning, even to get mad about everything that's going on, all the evil and the wickedness. But is that really what God wants us to do? Or would God rather us be a blessing to our culture? Would God rather us be salt and light? It's a whole lot easier to stand up and condemn and criticize. That's, that's easy. I, I, can, I can be very good at that. And some of you can too. But it's a lot harder to get engaged with the culture and work for the prosperity of the culture. The period from the 14th century to the 17th century in Europe was known as the Renaissance. And the Renaissance led into the Reformation. It's a fascinating period of history. During this period, the Renaissance Christians were actively engaged in the culture. And Christians greatly impacted the West in the fields of literature, science, art, medicine, politics. And what followed the involvement of Christians in culture was the Reformation, a great revival in the world. So as Christians got engaged in culture and made a difference in culture, that led to a great movement of God. You see... I think oftentimes we we want to sit back and go, we're living in the end days. Jesus could come back any moment, and I believe he could, and I believe he may. But the reality is we really don't know, do we? I mean, he could come back today. It could be a hundred years. It could be hundreds of years. It really could. We don't know. Then wouldn't it be bad if we sit back and say, Jesus is coming, the world is so wicked, it's... It's hell in a handbasket. We can't make a difference. So we're just going to sit back and pray and live our lives as best we can for Jesus and and just wait for his return. Wouldn't it be bad to do that, to sit on the sidelines and Jesus not come back anytime soon? I mean, wouldn't it be bad if God says, Hey, I want to use you to change culture. And, And yet we sit on the sidelines and don't even get in the game in the fourth quarter. I want to challenge you. Use the gifts and the abilities that God has given you to get engaged in changing culture. If you're good at art, whether it be drama, whether it be painting, whether it be sculpturing, whatever it may be, use those abilities in art for the glory of God, but get engaged. There's a church in Albany, Georgia. Albany isn't a metropolis by any means. Sherwood Baptist Church that. God put it on their heart to get involved in making movies. And that church has made movies that literally have been seen all over the world. Why? Because they decided instead of just sitting back and criticizing Hollywood, let's get engaged, let's get involved, let's seek to, to make a difference. I, I don't like a lot of the things that are going on in, polit, um, in public education today. I mean, that's one of the reasons we have a a school here. But we can sit back and criticize public education or we can get engaged. We can go as teachers, missionaries in the schools. We can go as administrators, missionaries in the school. We can get involved in the school boards and seek to make a difference there. We can retreat and just criticize or we can get engaged and Make a difference. If you're a Christian and God calls you to the medical field, be the very best you can and, and be a light in the field you're in. If, if you're a scientist, man, we need Christian scientists. Get engaged, get involved, and, and, and make a difference. Don't retreat. Change it for the good. That's what God wants us to do. The third thing he says is we need to pray for the welfare of the place we live. The latter part of verse 7 says, Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Now most of the time, what we as Christians do is we're very good at condemning our land, criticizing our land, but the Bible says we're supposed to pray for it. And we're to pray for its welfare because its welfare, its prosperity, determines our welfare, our prosperity. And so we pray for our president. I don't agree with our president on—I don't know if I agree with him on anything. But, but I, I mean, I want him to succeed. I mean, if he succeeds, we succeed. I, 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 I don't—I don't particularly want to go to eat dinner with the Speaker of the House. I feel like she's a little crazy. But I'm certainly not saying, Lord, shoot her playing down over Taiwan. I want God to bless her so that she can be a blessing to our nation. You see, it's easy for us to pray and criticize. It's much harder for us when we disagree with someone to pray that God will bless them. Because as God blesses them, it will be a blessing to us. The fourth thing he tells us to do is don't be deceived by false prophets. Verses 8 and 9. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets, your fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Now, These false prophets were telling them they wouldn't be in exile very long, that deliverance was coming. But Jeremiah said, deliverance isn't coming. You're going to be here for 70 years. What you need to understand is false prophets have always been around. We read them out in the Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus talked about them. Paul talked about them. John talked about them. We've had them throughout church history. We have them today. And what false prophets typically do is they tell us what we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. Uh, Paul calls it tickling the ears. Feel good message. Hey, I'm all for feeling good. I want to feel good. But there are times that if I'm going to feel good, i got to feel bad before I feel good. You, You connecting with me? If I've got cancer, I don't want the doctor to look at my scans and say, hey, you're in great health. I want the doctor to say, hey, you've got cancer, but I think we can treat you. I think we can get you through this. That's what I want to hear. I'm not going to like the message, but I'm going to be glad that he was honest with him because I know my healing is based upon hearing the truth. And there's some of us here in this room, I'm just being honest with you, you don't want to hear the gospel truth. You want someone to justify your sinful actions. And I'm here to tell you, there's plenty of false prophets out there who will do that. False prophets typically take a part of the word, a portion of the word, and subtly change it where it's, not even God's word anymore. In the Old Testament, we're told that the false prophets said, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So how do you stand up against false prophets? Well, the only way is to get into this book. It's the only way. I mean, listen to me. There are some of you that are making your decisions based upon how you feel. It's going to lead you to disaster. There are some of you who are making your decisions based upon what your friends tell you that's going to lead you to disaster. There are some of you who are making your decisions based upon a whole lot of different things. But I'm here to tell you that you make your decision based upon this word. And the only way you're going to have to be able to do that is get into the word. You got to read it systematically, regularly, and allow God to teach you and speak to you through this word. Watch out for false prophets. And then the final thing he says in verse 10 and following is hold on to God's promises. Listen to what he says. He says, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years and then I will come and do for you all the good things I promised. I will bring you home again for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity, restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Even in the midst of exile, God says, the plans I have for you are good. Now, they didn't think it was good at the time. They were in exile. They were slaves. They were living in a pagan land with Pagan practices. And yet God said, I've got good plans for you. Here's what the New Testament says. All things. Did you get that? All things. Work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. All things. Exile is not fun. But God can use it to accomplish his purpose in your life if you will allow it. God says, good things are to come if you'll do what I say. Now notice what he says. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Wholeheartedly. All your heart. Every ounce of your being. Jesus said it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything else will be added. In other words, you seek God wholeheartedly. You put your whole heart into it and everything else will take care of itself. That's what Jesus said. Our Lord, the one who defeated death, the one who sits on the throne, said you seek first God and his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else in your life will take care of itself everything seek him wholeheartedly not with half your heart not with most of your heart but all of your heart and you need to do that today more than ever in the world in which we live because there are so many distractions there's so many temptations there's so many directions that we're being pulled in so we need to seek him with all of our heart are you that's the key to victory in exile and we're exiles now there's some of you here probably have never done that you see when you become a follower of Jesus when you become a Christian you're giving everything you know of yourself to everything you know of Jesus wholeheartedly you can't become a Christian by saying God I'm, I'm going to give you this part but I'm not going to give you this part now, you, God didn't operate that way When you come to Jesus, you're coming to Him with all your heart. And if you're here and you've never come to Jesus that way, humbling yourself, surrendering to His will, repenting of your sins, trusting Him to be your Savior, then that's what you need to do today. You have no greater need. Because I'm here to tell you, listen, you're not going to find what you're looking for in this world. You think you will. You think, if I find the right man, I'm going to be happy. I find the right woman, I'm going to be happy. If I find the right job, I'm going to be happy. I get to this income, I'm going to be happy. I live in this neighborhood, I'm going to be happy. I get this boat, I'm going to be happy. And trust me, there's pleasure in the things of this world. There really is. But sooner or later, everybody who is trying to find what they're looking for in this world are going to come to the point where they say, is, is this all there is? Is this it? Because we weren't created for this world. We we're created for something more a relationship with God. And even though God wants us to enjoy life while we're here, living life for enjoyment is never going to fill the deepest needs of. so if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus that's what you need to do today but there are many of us we love Jesus but if we're honest we would have to admit we love other things too and Jesus has this part of our heart he's got it but something else has this part something else has this part you're not going to make it that way seek first his kingdom, his righteousness seek him with all your heart everything else in life will take care of itself you got to take that step we're going to have our altar time praise team is going to lead us in a beautiful worship song our altar is going to be open pastors are going to be down front if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus would you come down just tell one of us I need to give my life to Jesus you may just want to come to the altar and pray but if God speaks to your heart I want to encourage you to come I want you to stand with me I'm going to pray And then we're going to have our altar time. Father God, this is your time. And my prayer is that you'll have your way totally and completely in each and every one of our lives this morning. Lord, I pray no one will leave this room without a life-changing relationship with you. And Father, I pray that no one will leave this room without today giving their whole heart to you and I pray this in Jesus name